Hey folks, greetings from the Offensive Security Group here at Secure IT 360, coming at you with a new episode of the Cyber Threat Perspective. You've got Mr. Spencer and Brad here from the Offensive Security Group. Um, and so today we're talking about the severity of vulnerabilities, which sounds kind of benign, I think, on the surface, and it's really not though. And we're going to talk about why that is, at least in our opinions and our experience. Um, so Spencer, do you want to kind of give us your motivation for, you know, this episode and kind of get us in the headspace of where we're at? Yeah, definitely. Um, so this episode is vulnerabilities and severity. Explain it to me like I'm five and that's, uh, out of no disrespect to anyone listening. Uh, sometimes I think, especially I think in like five-year-olds sometimes, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> exactly. I mean, especially in cybersecurity where there's buzzwords and lingo and stuff like that, it can be hard to keep track of what everything means. Uh, and so this episode is really just about kind of demystifying what a vulnerability is, um, talking about that and then talking about severity ratings. Um, cause we use severity ratings all the time, uh, whether we're doing, you know, a risk assessment and we're doing more of an audit GRC type of assessment, or we're doing a penetration test or some other offensive security type of test or anything in between, right? When we're describing risk just to people, um, a lot of times it's helpful to put a severity on that risk, right? Mm -hmm. How, how likely is this thing to, to realize? And so this episode is all about vulnerabilities and the severity ratings, why they're important, how they're not perfect and why you should not rely solely on severity ratings alone to determine risk. And hopefully we can talk about this at a, you know, third grader level, five-year-old level kind of thing and not use too many buzzwords and, uh, you know, explain this thing. So that everybody listening, whether you're in management or you're in the trenches, can kind of understand and, and kind of relate to this. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this topic, I think, kind of loosely addresses one of my bigger issues with our industry, and that is um, the, the ambiguous nature of the, of the words, verbiage, phrases, all of that stuff that we use. I mean, you know, it comes down even to something as fundamental as what is a penetration test? Like we have had straight up brawls with other with clients and and peers in the industry about what is or is not considered a penetration test, and if we can't agree on that, good luck agreeing on you know a risk rating. And so you know it, it's it's good that we have standards, but I wish we'd follow them more closely. And and I think we're going to get into the details of why um, it's so tough to do that. But yeah, go ahead. Yeah, definitely, and you know. In doing the CISSP, right, which is right there, I'm pointing to it if you're on, uh, watching this. <laughs> if you're watching on this on YouTube. YouTube. Um, but, you know, vulnerability, threat, risk, um, those are foundational elements to information security that you that you learn when you start getting into the security thing or risk management and that kind of thing. And um, there is a, a famous tweet um, by Casey John Ellis, which kind of articulates these various different things that I just said very nicely and I'll, I'll read it, but a threat actor is someone who wants to punch you in the face. <laughs> a threat is the punch that's being thrown. A vulnerability is your inability to defend against that punch and risk is the likelihood of getting punched in the face. And I think that is a perfect example of, you know, what a vulnerability, a risk, a threat uh, is, and it helps put a tangible, example on it that we can all relate to. Mm -hmm. um, so that's the groundwork, right? So a vulnerability, 
uh, it's a weakness, a flaw. It's it's something that could potentially be exploited to cause harm. The problem being, in kind of the core of this episode, is vulnerabilities themselves don't take into consideration a lot of things, right. such as existing mitigations and you know a, a exploits whole in the wild, other things, right? So that's the the first kind of conversation piece, I guess. Brad is you know what is a vulnerability and what does it not encompass, kind of thing. Yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Um, and it's easy to get confused about that, especially if you don't live in this world and and talk about it all the time. Um, and, and we see this really commonly when we're presenting reports and we're saying, hey, um, you know, this vulnerability exists in your environment. Uh, and, you know, it's in, in most cases, we see these conversations when we start talking about a, a higher severity, which we're going to get into severity in a minute, but we start talking about a more serious vulnerability. Um you know, the, the, the client almost invariably will ask, uh, well, what does that really mean to me? Right. What happens to me if I don't fix this or um, how big of a deal is this? And so I think that's, you know, one of the key elements to the communications of vulnerability is, um, you know, is communicating that. But even that does not include, like you said, existing mitigations. So what are some examples of existing mitigations? Like first things that come to mind for you? Yeah. So, you know, I'm an internal pen tester. So, you know, naturally things that come to my mind are, um, you know, if, let's say you found a weak password on an admin account, but that admin account has MFA everywhere, right? Yeah. Um, there is a vulnerability because that's a weak password. Mm -hmm. um, but there are, you know, compensating controls, if you want to be, use the CISP language, or mitigating factors um, that prevent further abuse of that account, mm -hmm. right? Um, that's one example that comes to mind. Uh, another example would be, um, you know, things like, uh, let's say, TLS. TLS mm -hmm. is, is a good example. Um, maybe there's weak TLS used, um, but everything is is sitting behind a WAF inside a DMZ, and it's not, you know, directly accessible externally, right? You're, you, yeah. you can't get to that internal resource. Um, so they're, co they're compensating controls. There's existing mitigations um, that affect the, the uh, impact of those vulnerabilities. Yep. So, so I think, okay, so, so I'm going to try to break that back down to a five-year-old level because there were some terms that you threw in yep. there that I think are important to talk Good. about. Keep, so, keeping us honest on that. Right. Well, like mitigation, like understanding a mitigating factor. All right. So that phrase is something I think we should break down. And I also think we should, we should break down compensating controls. Because they're not the same thing uh, in all cases, but they have overlap. So, so for example, if we're talking about risk mitigation, right, it is uh, it, it's going to be a thing that you do, and it can come in the in three forms. It can come in the form of of a process. It can come in the form of you know people and education, and it can come in the form of technology, right? I think I, I think I did all three of those, right? Yep. So people, process, technology; those are the broad categories of what we consider to be a mitigating factor, right? Or, or where they can be sourced from. An easy example of that you mentioned, right? Which is having a WAF, and I think that is probably the most beautiful example of of mitigating a vulnerability without eliminating it. And what I mean by that is, let's say that you have a, a, a form that's vulnerable to SQL injection, okay? And hopefully everybody knows what that is. It's basically a way to, you can inject characters into a form field that would potentially cause the database to do something bad. Sticking a WAF in front of that and allowing that WAF to protect that form will help protect or reduce 
the risk of that particular vulnerability being exploited. Doesn't eliminate it because the form's still vulnerable and there are ways to get around that particular mitigating factor. But a WAF put in front of a vulnerable application is a great example of a mitigating factor. Um, Now, compensating controls are a subcategory of mitigating factors, right? And and like you described, I think beautifully, an MFA implementation on on an account that has a weak password is a beautiful example of a mitigating factor through a compensating control. Yep. Does that make sense? I think I think we, yeah. we articulated that correctly. Yeah, and there are various types of compensating controls, and you learn in the you know this is getting in the deep into the CISP uh, body of knowledge, right? The common right, body of right. knowledge. Um, but uh, you know, there's different compensating controls. Um, there's different controls, right? There is is there's administrative controls, technical controls, detective controls, right? So maybe you're you're a compensating control is like, hey, we have a detection for when this bad thing happens. We might not be able to mitigate it completely, but we also have this thing that's going to tell us when that bad thing happens. So there's all sorts of things like that that impact the impact of a vulnerability or that affect you know, how bad that vulnerability can actually be if it were to be realized. Right, And that's the core of this discussion is uh, vulnerabilities are great, and we're going to talk about severity soon, but that's great. But we also have to pair it with compensating controls, other mitigating factors, or other things that we have in place in our organizations um, mm-hmm. that affect that vulnerability being realized. Yep, I agree with that. All right, so does a mitigating factor affect the severity of the vulnerability? That's a great question. Um, I am going to put my consultant hat on and say it depends. It does. <laughs> it does depend. You know, because like everything else, you know, I, I don't think, you know, information security service, it's not always black and white. Right. And I think this is one of those areas where there are definite tried and true cases where, yes, a compensating control or a mitigating factor in that in this case does decrease the severity of a vulnerability. But there are many cases where it doesn't. Yep. Um, so it depends it, is the bad. It does. Answer. It, it does depend. And, and so I would say. Um, you know, it, it requires a little bit of objective analysis. And, and what I mean by that is this, we got dinged back when I worked in the banking environment, we got dinged on an audit for not having encrypted protocols in the DMZ. So we were communicating via plain text protocols, like plain text SQL, plain text HTTP for APIs and stuff like that in the DMZ. The reason we were doing that is the transaction speed and volume could not be decrypted properly by a hardware decryptor. So, so technology did not exist to properly decrypt the rate at which we were sending traffic. So we had to send it in plain text. Otherwise we had no visibility from an IPS IDS perspective. Right. So, however, what we did was we, we physically isolated those networks like in the data center, nothing could touch those networks. There were the only things were on the network work of the computer sending to the other computer, literally. And so it would be impossible without compromising the machine itself to sniff that traffic. Right. So then the question became, and this is really kind of me, you know, in my younger days, getting, getting my lessons in this world of vulnerability mm-hmm. mitigation on stuff. The question became, does the vulnerability still exist? Undoubtedly, the answer is yes. I am still using a vulnerable protocol. However, I have reduced that risk to a point that is comfortable 
with the risk tolerance of my organization, which is a whole nother podcast, by the way. We don't have yep. to get into risk tolerance. But the point being is without fully patching or eliminating the vulnerability, it will still exist, but you can mitigate it to a point of minimal exposure to the organization. Yep. Um, and that's that's a really good segue to severity, right? Because that is. unencrypted protocol, that vulnerability itself, if you look at it in isolation, that would be a certain severity rating, right? That would have a certain, you know, CVSS score, uh, if you're familiar with that. Yep. Um, so it would have a certain rating. It would have a certain implication of risk, right, alone by itself. Um, and then you pile on to that the mitigating factors, the compensating controls, the network architecture, and yep. all that stuff. And that would affect the severity rating uh, and the, in the risk of that vulnerability itself. And that's mm -hmm. where the severity rating dis discussion kind of comes into play. No, I agree with that. And and there are some really good frameworks for severity rating. Um, you know, I don't know if I'm skipping ahead to talk about the CVSS scoring that we use um, and, and why it's important. But, you know, again, to your earlier points, kind of culminating to the concept of severity is severity is a starting point and you, it has to, there has to be context. Yep. Yeah. And the CVSS is a great, it, it's a foundational framework. Um, if you're if you're looking at pure you know vulnerability rating, CVSS is the most widely known. If you expand that just a little bit and look at kind of risk frameworks and, and um, uh, you know risk mitigation frameworks, um, you know you you look at things like Dread and there's there's other frameworks that you can evaluate risk based upon. But just talking strictly about kind of severity rating, CVSS is the one that kind of comes. To mind that most everyone is going to be using. You're going to see it in risk assessments. You're going to see it in pen test reports and everything in between. And the goal of that rate, that severity rating is to label, you know, how dangerous a vulnerability could be, right? So when some vulnerability comes out in Microsoft Word and it's got a CVSS score of, you know, 8.9 and it's a high or something like that, you know, roughly by looking at that label in the score, you know, how dangerous that vulnerability could be. Sure. Um, it helps people understand, you know, how big of a problem or how small of a problem it is, how much attention to give it, how, how should we should prioritize this particular vulnerability. Um, and the CVSS specifically, it's from zero to 10. So 0, 0.0 to 10.0. And it, you know, has, it features critical high, medium, low informational. Mm -hmm. Pretty basic, um, but a pretty foundational component to vulnerability rating severities and things like that. Yeah. And I, I like that also the CVSS has conversion charts for like dread and some of the other, you know, risk rating systems that are out there that are less common. It's easy to convert because a 10 point system, you know, it's simple math. Um, so I do think it's a solid one. You know, I like that in some of their newer versions in like 3.1 and 3.2, they're talking about, revamping things a little bit because yep. a, a reason that I would probably pose against what we, we're implementing version 3.0 right now, we're looking at later this year coming out at 3.2 and skipping 3.1, but um, I, there are still issues with it in my opinion. And so there are still like the, the my favorite example is sweet 32 um, that I think is like a 9.8 or something like yeah. it's insanely high for something that can't be exploited and presents effectively no risk. 
And it makes me sad to present that every time, yep. you know? Yeah. We always have to preface the discussion like, Hey, this really doesn't deserve to be, and here's why, you know, it doesn't deserve to be this high. Here's why, because yep. a lot of that stuff um, is academic, right? It, it's academically or um, potentially possible, right? Mm-hmm. That exploitation of this thing could happen, right? Under very specific circumstances with, with very specific parameters and, and things like that. So yeah, yeah the Sweet 32, the TLS stuff, the downgrade attacks. Now, the downgrade attacks are getting to be quite real. There's some real applications mm-hmm. of that, but most of those like you're talking about, we definitely agree that those are, are way higher. And, and it's it's a good conversation point for clients. And I think it's helpful that we have those discussions. I agree. To, to help them understand you know, what the severity rating means and, and what it means in the bit broader picture of things, you know? Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, um, you know, one of the things that I would encourage organizations to do is, again, create a program internally for you guys that uh, that includes context, you know, that includes. So so um, we had what we called a high risk vulnerability process, I guess, a a group of people that manage that separately. Um, And and there were there were hurdles that had to be met. So, for example, if it was exploited in the wild actively right now, you know, that bumps it up a notch, um, you know. And, and so if it met these three or four criteria, it was real, you know, and we that, that way we didn't get weeded out. And, and, and what's important to remember about that is a medium like a 4.5 or a 5.2 on the CVSS scale could have as much organizational impact to you as a 9.8, maybe yep. even more, depending on what it is. Um, and you had mentioned something in the pre-show when we were talking about this that I thought was fascinating. And it was, why are things like Suite 32 up here and things like user enumeration down here when user enumeration is almost invariably going to be used um, if someone's targeting an organization? Yep. Yeah. And it's, you know, it the severity ratings lack the context that um, that a human has or that, you know, you have during an assessment, yeah. right? Or... Uh, you know, one of the common examples you give all the time, Brad, is it lacks the business context, right? If it's if mm-hmm. it's a flaw in a web app, it, by itself, it might be a low or medium, you know, finding, but mm-hmm. it can be chained together with other things. So severity ratings also lack that chaining ability. So it, you know, it's only looking at that vulnerability in isolation, yeah. and not looking at it, you know, in context of everything else that's there in the environment. So very many times, like you said you know, a low or an informational or some sort of user enumeration, you know, finding or vulnerability yeah. is going to be much more valuable than a sweet 32 rating would be to an attacker. Right? No and question. that's ultimately, you know, the goal here is to defend organizations from attackers, from cybercrime, right? Like the things that, you know, bad actors that are going to come after your organization, they're not going to use sweet 32 attacks. Agree. And, you know, one example that I like to give in the web application pen testing world is what we call um, field tampering. And so like if I can if I need to if I need to virtually print a document, like I want to print it to, you know, the store up the road and go pick it up. Right. And I can tamper with the name of the person printing the document. Who cares? Right. I just go in there and it's like, oh, this document printed under Joe's name instead of Brad's name. Like it's not a big deal. But what if that field were the source account for a wire transfer? That might be serious. In fact, that would be a 10.0. Is there anything bigger than 10? Because if there is, I would give it that. Because now I can literally wire money from other people's account to mine. And so, you know, same vulnerability, 
same code, two different yeah. fields and two different values. And that's what I mean when I say business context. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. And the, and the importance really of severity ratings comes from the ability to prioritize, to risk assess, and, and to communicate those things. And that's why we use them, right? Is it helps organizations, it helps people uh, prioritize those risks. Yeah. There are, are flaws just like with anything else, but, um, you know, it ranking a severity or ranking a vulnerability with a certain severity um, helps with vulnerability management as a whole in the sense that we can now bucket these things, we can put these things into categories and help people understand and help our own organizations understand how serious they should be and how quickly we should, you know, remediate them if we should remediate them at all. Right. You you and I know like in people listening, you have vulnerability management programs. You have three, five, 10,000 vulnerabilities, you know, staring at you from your Nessus scans. Right. Yeah. 0.001% or maybe 0.01% or maybe 1%, uh, to be generous are truly exploitable and have real impact. Like the weird, you know, one-off Microsoft bugs are not ever going to be exploited in practicality, right? From, from a real standpoint that I'm going to use that against an organization, Yeah, right? It's, it's a very small percentage of it, but so many, when we do vulnerability assessments are, are focusing on, oh, we have 5,000 medium vulnerabilities. What are we going to do? It's like, does it even matter? 99% of those are not going to ever impact you in any way. Right. Um, and, and that's where people get hung up on severity ratings and high critical low, all that stuff. Yeah. Which is why I'm an advocate as bad as it sounds. I'm an advocate of having a real vulnerability management program, which is the one where you identify actual threats to your organization and then a patching program. And to be clear, those are different things. A patching program is an IT function that is just trying to make the numbers go down. Um, I don't care about that. Right. You know, in, in our world, I care about actual flaws that either alone or an aggregate um, could could compromise my organization. Um, yeah. And so, you know, that that is what I would encourage people to look at, because, you know, if your vulnerability management program is a glorified patch pushing machine, um, then you're doing it wrong. Yep. And, 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 you, and you should evaluate it. Go ahead. Yeah. And you're and you're never going to get to zero. You can't. Um, it's impossible. There's there's no way uh, you're you're ever going to get to zero um, in any real meaningful way, uh, and that's kind of the the core of our method, our internal methodology, right? Is mm-hmm. like traditional internal network pen test is you drop a Kali box, you scan the network with Nessus, you run Metasploit modules, and you yeah. kind of more or less spray and pray, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas a real adversary on the network is going to behave much differently. They're going to be looking at different things. They're not going to be running, uh, you know, Nessus yep. scans and things like that. Um, so that's kind of the core foundation of our internal methodology uh, for internal assessments, right? Um, same with purple teams, you know, any other kind of assessment that we do is very much threat oriented, threat focused yeah. mm-hmm. um, to help organizations understand the real vulnerabilities that are going to impact their organizations. Yep. And in fact, you know, we, I had a conversation with somebody, I think it was last week. And he said that he, his first pen test he was ever on was the report was 500 pages. Now immediately that tells me whoever did that pen test had no flipping idea what they were doing. And, uh, you know, I'm not trying to, to say that, that, you know, um, that they didn't do a good job or whatever it is. I don't know who they are. I don't really care. But the point is 
that dude had a vulnerability scan and he yep. got a comprehensive list of vulnerabilities. He did not get a comprehensive list of true threats and realistic um, risks to his organization. And that is our goal. Our goal is not to find as many, um, you know, CVEs as we can in your environment. Our, our, our goal here is to identify, um, you know, true real risk. Yep. Yeah. And that's what it com- comes down to in this discussion is vulnerabilities and severity ratings. They, they serve a purpose. Mm-hmm. They have a unique purpose. They're not perfect, but um, you know, they are a means to prioritize and to assess risk and evaluate things. Um, but ultimately they do need to be taken in context. Like you said, it, you know, mm-hmm. they're subjective and they lacked lack context. And that's an important piece to this discussion. And, and hopefully we've helped articulate that, that point that, you know, vulnerabilities, severity ratings have a, have, have a unique need and a unique serve a unique purpose. Yeah, they do. And, and they're still valuable. I don't want to discount that. Absolutely. Yeah. And you should be doing vulnerability scans and you should be addressing those things. Mm-hmm. Um, you should be prioritizing stuff based on severity along with other factors. Um, it, you know, it's just t- everything in context, right? Yep. Absolutely. A little bit of objective analysis and, and, and human brain power goes a long way when it comes to stuff like this. So yep. very good. Well, folks, that's all we have time for today. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please take the time to like, subscribe, share with your friends. We really appreciate that, and it helps us out a lot. Uh, otherwise, we will see you next Wednesday.